This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the 4,000 Holes podcast, brought to you by the people at brfcs.com and sponsored by the lovely people at the Terrace. At Blackburn, Burnley, with one of the toughest defences in the first division, went down before the biggest gate of the sixth round when they tackled the Rovers. Blackburn, in quarter shirts, played so well, you'd never guess they were in the wrong half of the second division. Burnley dominated the first half. Here's a grand move from which Holden fired in a shot, but LV saved. Burnley took the lead when Shannon sent over a high centre. The ball was headed to Chu. Experts thought the Rovers would crack now, but amateur international Holmes burst through and centred, and Nightingale equalised just before half-time. And a grand header from Holmes put Blackburn ahead with the score 2-1. Blackburn and Burnley are almost neighbours, so now it was really a needle match. Then Blackburn clinched it. Holmes again. He beat Mather and passed to Glover, who had all the time in the world to score. So Blackburn Rovers equaled Aston Villa's record of reaching the semi-finals 14 times. Welcome to the 4,000 Holes podcast. A little bit of whimsy in your Rovers supporting day. Well played from Colin Hendry as he surges forward. And uh, on the Blackburn right now, Simon Garner. Can he hold on? Crosses over and a chance for Blackburn. Surely a goal. 
Yes, it was Scott Sellers eventually scored at a superb cross from Simon Garner of the Burnley defence in all sorts of trouble. And away goes Frank Stapleton, and he could make this two, and he does. The super goal from Frank Stapleton, 2-0 to Blackburn. He does it in style, and he's done it twice in two games. Burnley defence had no chance at all, with a beautiful through ball there. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the 4000 Holes podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the release of the second edition of the wonderful book No Name Never, authored by Michael Hodkinson and published by Legends Publishing. To discuss the book, we have the man who published it, the man who wrote it, the fan who contributed to it, and two players who also provided interviews as part of the background research for the book. I'm delighted to be joined from Legends Publishing by Dave Lane, the author himself, Michael Hodkinson, the Rovers fan who contributed, the editor of 4,000 Holes, Scott Sumner, Rovers all-time record appearance holder, Derek Vazakley, and another heroic Rovers centre-back, Craig Short. So we're here to talk about No Nay Never the book, and I thought a good place to start was with the man who's basically responsible for publishing it. So welcome to the 4000 Holes podcast to David Lane from Legends Publishing. David, how are you this evening? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to tonight. Um, he's got a great, you've got a great lineup here. And uh, yeah, there's, he's got kind of a wealth of experience and lots of Derby days to talk about. So yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for good stuff. Back. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Legends Publishing then. This is your chance to make a sales pitch. What do you oh, do? Right. Um, well, we specialise in, uh, in in producing books about football history, really. Um you know, we've we've produced books for clubs of all shapes and sizes, from from Aldershot to Arsenal to Liverpool and Tottenham and my club Brentford. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a kind of um, it's a collective of like minded souls, people that want to talk about football when football was um, part of their childhood and um, the seventies and the sixties and the eighties when you could turn up at a game without a ticket and you could pay to get in with cash, like real money, you know, like that analog cash stuff um so yeah it's it's we, we we've we I, I thoroughly love doing what i do and you know working with with as i said like-minded authors um who just share their passion and love for the for their own football clubs fantastic well on that note how did you link in with michael and how did the the no nay never book project arise well, Michael approached me. Um, I, I was I was working on a I was working on the 150 um, yearbook for Aston Villa with um, with another historian and um, the big Manchester United book of the 70s um, with Roy Kavanagh. Um, again, like two really knowledgeable, brilliant authors who just know everything about their football clubs. Um, and I, I think they I think my my ear was 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 itchy one day, and someone was obviously talking about me. And, and Michael approached and 
pitched the book to me um you know and it was it's just right up our street it's exactly what we do yeah it's a, you know it's, it's a, ultimately you know we're, we're going to talk about the the kind of the more feisty sides of, of of a rivalry and a bitter rivalry like there is between Blackburn and Burnley but really you know it, it is a celebration of, of two incredible football clubs um and I think Michael's done uh, an amazing job to encapsulate two club identities and weave together players stories fan stories some brilliant photographs Absolutely. some memories that he's put in so yeah we're, we're very proud of a what is a huge book actually it uh it is, it's, a, it's a weighty term i mean i know it's this almost is it's audio, almost two kilos it's an audio medium but yeah, yeah. I, I feel like and i do it, this can, 25 times a day you can hear it you can hear it when you bang it <laughs> and um i said to him all, when we were almost finished it i said you realize how big this is going to be when it comes back from the printers and he he didn't really know and and i said it's gonna be like a brick i said you might be able to take this to the next derby game you might get arrested but uh yeah you know it's um it's something we're incredibly proud of and um you know thanks for helping us celebrate it tonight it's our it's our pleasure so let's give you one chance to do a sales plug then what's the url where people need to go to be able to buy all right if you want to get get your hands on one of these copies go to legends publishing l-e-g-e-n-d-s publishing.net and um the books on the home page so right on the front page you can't miss it um it's available through um the blackburn rovers uh club shop and if you have to amazon (laughs) <laughs> on that point, there was a little paragraph in there on the landing page for No Name Never. It sort of says, if you have any issues whilst purchasing the book online, please email david at legendspublishing.net. <laughs> you do not get that service from Jeff Bezos at Amazon. No. Yeah, yes. one, one man bands can do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's customer service for you, ladies and gentlemen. So, And you're also very kindly, you're giving us a copy to give away on the podcast and giving Scott a copy to give away in the next issue of the fanzine as well. So um, we, we've got a question, I think, later on for that. So thank you very much for that. We look that's my pleasure. Setting that away. So, Michael, we've heard from David there, but what was the catalyst that made you actually write the book? Well, it's um, it's this love, long-lasting love affair I've got with football, and particularly um, lo- local football. I, I've, I've been a, a, a Rovers fan since 1954, and uh, and I've also worked for Burnley. And so, um, having, having retired, and uh, it... it just seemed like a good idea to um, to to look up the rivalry and, and and as I got into it more and more then I, I thought yes that there's a book in this and how long did it take you to actually pull all the research together well I, I, I actually started writing it before I'd done too much research and then I, I again I suddenly realized oh, oh heck um, I, I, I've got to uh, I've, I've got to do a lot of research here. And, um, and 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 but the research continues when when at various stages through the book because you come across something new and so well yeah you've got to go and research that again and then you come across again something new and I, I mean it, it was a good two years really from the beginning to the end of the book. And where where did you go then? Did you lock yourself away in your bedroom or did you go down the libraries and who did you talk to while you were compiling all the research? 
Well, we, we were in France when, 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 when I started. We were living in France then. And, um, and, and so I, I bought a couple of books when I came over. Well, a couple of Mike Jackman books. And then, then I bought a, a Burnley book as well. An excellent Burnley book also. And, um, and, and then I was using the internet a lot as well when I was in France. When, when we finally came back here, I still hadn't finished it. And so I, I did use Blackburn Library then, right, um, on, on several occasions. So just just like being a student, then going back to that, what was the, what was the hardest part of writing the book itself? I mean, this this is your to date your only book. Uh, how how strange was the experience? What were the best bits and what were the worst bits? I had a, a stroke of luck, really, when, when I. I um, when I realised that, that I would need a publisher, um, because the first guy I, I, I approached, which was um, was Dave, um, he, he said yes. So that that was a hurdle I crossed pretty quickly because people had said, "Oh, you know, you'll be you'll be looking for years, sort of thing, to find somebody who wants to publish it." Yeah. So 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 what I thought was then going to be a hard bit actually turned out to be an easy bit. But the most difficult bit, really, at that stage. Was using was finding photographs, um, photographs that um, Dave could do anything with. Yeah. And and then I spent time down at Blackburn Library, uh, and also looking up um, the the Burnley Express photographs as well, that 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 had appeared in the papers. But really, in the end, we couldn't use them. The two football clubs were really good. They they both sent sent me stacks of photographs that we could use, um, particularly of, of, of the modern day stuff. Dave, Dave had a, a, a decent catalogue of, of, of photographs as well, in particular the old um, cigarette card photographs. So oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. in a sense, covered the, um, the, 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 older the, the old stuff as well. Yeah. And also that there's a guy called, um, called Bernie. Bernie Horn. That's the man, yeah. Yes. Who uh, have you seen his uh, his documents uh, and, and so on? Well, he's got it's a absolute... fantastic Flickr library. I know That's uh, right. where, he, where he scans yeah. in images and programs and stuff like that. And in fact, yeah. he um, he contacted me with a load of old VHS tapes. So there's stuff ah. on brfcs.com, videotapes of old games and news reports on Granada TV and the like, and the vast majority of those have come via Bernie. And there's still two. Yeah. I've still got two boxes in the garage that still need <laughs> digitising. So I think Bernie basically is is a one man um, museum almost. It's, it's sort of like an yeah, archivist. Yeah. I think he's uh, as a hobby. He's he's doing a sterling service. But the wealth of stuff that he puts out on Twitter. Follow him at Blue Shearer on Twitter by the way folks uh, he really is a, a really really uh, great resource for, for lots and lots yeah. of other stuff but particularly as you say photographs and programs well yeah and and we we use the covers of some programs as well because it, I, I don't mean the older ones because the older ones are all the same weren't they yeah but um the more modern ones will have a picture of um, of modern players on and things like that so you know with, with a little bit of fiddling around you, you could uh, you could get photographs from those as well Excellent. via Bernie. 
I think it's one of one of the features of the book is the quality of the photographs. Uh, some of the images, yeah, it just it just takes you right back into the moment, and they they are of an era yeah. clearly where it's, it's difficult to lay your hands on them straight away. So if there is one yeah. aspect of the book alone that really takes takes your attention, it is the photographs. During yeah. the writing of it, Michael, I mean, you in, you interviewed, you were in contact with lots and lots of different players as well. There must have been loads and loads of anecdotes that came out during that exercise what what's your personal favorite story that emerged there are so many brian douglas um had a wealth of stories as well although it wasn't actually nothing to do with the rivalry i was really moved when he talked about tom finney and how tom finney had helped him and told him you know what to expect apparently when brian went down for his uh, his first international which i think was at ninian park in in cardiff he, he, he travelled down with Tom, and Tom sort of just just said so many things to him, which he said he'd remembered all his life. Um, you know, about the fact that uh, when, and this is pre, pre-VAR, of course, that um, when the referee's not looking, they'll take a swing at you, they'll stand on you when, when they're getting up. They, 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 they will um, call you all the names under the sun. And Tom said to him, he said, look, he said, do nothing do not retaliate because that will make them more and more angry and uh, and and they will then sort of forget what they're on the pitch for yeah and and that will be to your advantage he said but the great thing is he said if they're doing that to you they know you're a very very good player if you're a waste of time they won't they won't bother wasting their time on you absolutely so so I, th- I thought I thought that was wonderful. There were other good stories as well. I mean, uh, Simon Garner went 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 the story, which um, you probably heard his story when 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 he, he he'd been retired quite a while, but he he was living down in Berkshire and and, and Wickham Wanderers were playing Burnley um, in, in in some low division, and and there were about um, fifteen hundred Wickham fans on and about two and a half thousand Burnley fans on. <laughs> They did that because um, Simon had actually played for Wickham. I think it was his last club. They'd asked him to come along to make the draw at half time, <laughs> and he came on the pitch at half time. And the the the, the few sewers they had had a hell of a job <laughs> to 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 keep keep the Burnley fans off the pitch because they wanted to get get at him. And of course, the people of Wickham just couldn't understand that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Very brave selection, it has to be said. And and, and also the the the, the other one I remember. Well, was was when Steve Kindon um, got got fouled out by John Waddington quite quite badly, and and and, and the, he he had to go off, and 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 the, the the doctor, the Burnley doctor said, look, he said, you're not going back on. He said this injury is too great, and and Steve, being Steve, said, I am, I am, I am. And, and and he he sort of convinced the doctor that you know come hell or high water he was going back on that pitch. He said, but I was only going on back on for one reason that was to get John Waddington. He said, but he never came near me. He said, and uh, and, and people like Faz were saying, well, what what are you doing coming back on? You silly sod, you know that type of thing. You 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 you're too injured to come back on. And and and, and I won't say what he said, but he he, he swore at them. A year later, um, in the in the in the next set of fixtures. <laughs> he, he, he got John Waddington. He, he really nailed him. Uh, and, that, and after the game, John Waddington went up to him and said, "What? What, what did he do that for?" He, he said, "I hadn't touched you in the game." And he said, "Well, it was for last year." He said, <laughs> "Have a long memory." 
Fantastic stuff. That's excellent, Michael. Well, uh, as, as we sort of said, there's plenty of anecdotes like that in the book. It's well worth having a read. But let's uh, let's turn our attention now to our special guests. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, that, that leads us in quite nicely to introduce the first first of our special guests. He is, of course, the word legend is thrown around far too uh, far too freely these days. But as the official club record appearance holder, it's our pleasure to welcome to the uh, the Four Thousand Holes podcast, Derek Fazakli. Derek, how do we find you this evening? You're you're down in in Oxford, still doing some work, as I understand it. Well, trying to avoid it as much as possible, but putting a couple of days in, yeah. Is that is that right, Craig? Do you want to uh, <laughs> verify that? I'm waiting to be introduced to this chap in the top left-hand corner. <laughs> Do you sign his timesheet? That's the question. Uh, we, uh, we see Derek uh, two or three times a week, and it's always a... Times a week, yeah. It's always a, it's a nice uh, nice when he arrives and calms the building down, and he's been good, actually, the last couple of weeks because we lost our manager, so yeah. having a having a uh, an old head, sorry, Faz, but an old head... Experienced. It's helped me a lot because I've been doing the caretaker job, so it's been good for me having Derek. Yeah. I've known him for years. So. Fantastic, fantastic. So, Derek, uh, you you missed a number of derbies uh, through injury, uh, which is which is referenced in the book, but you definitely played in one of my all time favourites, and that that's kind of where I really like to start the conversation, which is Boxing Day, nineteen seventy seven. So that was a, an an interesting Jim Smith team, and it was. We didn't know it at the time, but it was getting close to the end of Jim Smith's reign. What What are your recollections of that day? Well, obviously the the atmosphere and the, uh, I don't know the, the mood around the derby. You know, you realise that that you know, uh, and and in those days, derbies were on on Boxing Days and Easter's and stuff like that, and it seemed to heighten the the expectation because you know they were all uh, full houses and stuff like that, but. I don't think we played Burnley for a few years prior to that. You know, we'd sort of crossed each other Missed on the way. Other, yeah. and, and this was probably the first derby for a number of years. So for all of us, it was a new experience. And of course, to run out and turf more, um, Boxing Day, a full house, I don't know, 27, 28,000, whatever it was in those days, turf more, uh, fantastic atmosphere. And then to come away with, uh, what was the score at the end? Three two, was it? Three two, yes. Absolutely unbelievable, you know, and 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 probably one of the best performances and results, you know, even in my long time career at Blackburn Rovers. That score definitely flattered Burnley because my recollection of that first half, uh, one of my all time Rovers favourites, and he wasn't around long, is David Wagstaff. Uh, for the for the younger Rovers fans, I sort of say he was the two guy of his day, a guy who could just caress the ball and land it wherever you wanted it and create something out of nothing. And he ran riot that day. And then we had uh, Keith Fear on loan. So again, for our younger listeners, this is you know, pre-internet and at Christmas, you didn't really get that much radio coverage either. So the, the programmes were probably printed about three weeks before the game. And this this guy came out and was like, who's that? I've no idea. I think we just signed him on loan or something. 
And uh, Keith, of course, missed the penalty that would have uh, would would have taken us even further ahead, and I think would have put Burnley out of sight. But it was it was just an extraordinary game. Uh, as I say that first forty five minutes was, was was quite something. But as we was getting towards the end, then and the penalty was awarded, and Peter Noble stuck it away to make it three two. How how nervous were the players that they'd thrown away this this lead in a derby game? Well, obviously, when you get to a situation where you're three 0 up at half time, miss a penalty, as you say, just before half time to make it four nil. And then the game sort of turned on its head a little bit because they got to 3-1, which obviously not too much of a problem. But then the referee gave a penalty again, I think. And I think Glenn Keely had come on as a substitute, if I remember. And the referee gave a penalty for handball. And of course, as you say, Peter Noble stroked it in 3-2. And in those days, you never, ever, ever used to play extra time. At 90 minutes, the whistle blew and that was it. The game seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. And I said to the referee, I said, listen, and in those days, we used to play Boxing Day and the day after, depending yeah. on what day it was. I said, we're going to be late for the kickoff tomorrow if you don't blow the whistle. So I think, come on, blow it. But we managed to hang on and win 3-2. Uh, but the, the scoreline, unbelievable on the day, 3-2. But it did flatter Burnley. There was absolutely no doubt about it. The likes of Kevin Hurd, John Bailey, as you say, David Wagstaff, Keith Fear playing up front. Uh, Stuart Metcalf was probably in the team uh, a fantastic performance and one that you know Blackburn supporters and Burnley supporters though they don't like to talk to it and, and, and remember it too much it's still mentioned there's absolutely no doubt about it and what was playing for Jim Smith like because I, I, my recollections of his side was that they were very adventurous uh, but that probably left us susceptible to, be, to being caught at the back with White Hurd and Bailey bombing down the wings. That, didn't that leave you rather exposed in the middle? Well, it, it did to some degree, but it also was a strength as well. And, and you know, in those, those two players in particular would fit in unbelievably well in today's modern football, Premier Absolutely, League football, yeah. where full-backs are no longer employed in their own half of the field. They just stand up in the other half of the field, waiting <laughs> to be serviced with the ball and get a few crosses into the box and stuff like that. So... Yeah, no, but we had a very attacking team. Was Gordon Taylor on the other side as well? He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah so Gordon, Waggy, Waggy, as you say, an absolutely fantastic player. The two full-backs were fine. And in that game, we were playing against, you know, like you said, Stevie Kinder, who, I mean, he was a flyer, an absolute flyer. Could catch Strong pigeons, as they used to catch say. Catch pigeons, yeah. And I think that was the first game I ever realised I could run. Uh, but it still wasn't <laughs> quick enough to catch Stevie Kinden, but managed to keep him at the bay. Yeah. He was always a, a thorn in our side, I think, even when he played for Huddersfield and, and went, went went further afield. He was one of those players that you were always feared could hurt you in, in the opposition side. So Jim Smith left shortly thereafter. Um, what what was the, the the team's feeling when when Jim announced that he was off to Birmingham then? How, what sort of impact did that have? Well, no, I mean, it was a big disappointment, obviously. You know, we'd built up a, a, a decent side that acquitted itself well to the higher division because Gordon Lee, had, who got his promotion, had left the season before. And and from that point of view, it, uh, it, it was tough. There's absolutely no doubt about it, you know, because we obviously lost Gordon Lee, who'd been very successful and then inherited Jim. And Jim had sort of got the team going in the right direction. And of course... The reason why he's gone to Birmingham is because he's got Blackburn Rovers going in the right direction. But you couldn't, 
you know, the difference between the Blackburn Rovers and Birmingham City in terms of ambition and 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 not 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 so much ambition, that's the wrong word, but so in terms of potential yeah. was huge in those days, of course, and you yeah. couldn't blame him for going. But no, he was a great man to play for, loved his football, a little bit old school in some respects, but you know, one of those that every every now and then would throw a cup of tea or kick the uh, skip and uh, let you know if you hadn't played particularly well. But a uh, great fella and and wonderful to play for. And another Blackburn Rovers man with Oxford United connections. Of course, they seem to be uh, r- running rich through uh, through through this episode of the podcast. So just just finally, Derek, then what 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 memories of of the Derby games, particularly obviously against Burnley, uh, linger long in in your memory? Well, certainly the one that you talked about, obviously, and then there was the one at Ewood Park where they somehow managed to clamber up onto the Darwin End roof and, yes. and destroy the roof. And I, I can't remember whether we were actually taken off the field or we had to actually wait on the field while the police cleared out the asbestos off the pitch. Um, and I'm not so sure about that. And and then one of the derbies, of course, uh, I'm not so sure whether it was that year. I remember going back to Jim Smith's time. It was probably the same, probably the same year. Uh, we were winning, I think, one nil or two one with not so long to go. And Cochran picked the ball up, but he robbed John Bailey. John Bailey was dinking down the wing like he did as a defensive fullback, dropping his shoulder, twisting and turning, got robbed. And Cochran wired one in from about thirty yards right into the top corner. I remember that. And of course. When we go into the dressing room, Jim's absolutely steaming. He goes up to John Bailey, grabs him by the throat, pins him up against the wall and says, you'll never effing play for me again. And of course, Jim left then, what, a month later or something like that. And the first player he tried to sign was John Bailey. <laughs> yeah. John had quite a decent career after he left Rose, of course, as well. Because of course, yeah. Well, they, they, were two, they were two fantastic, as I say, modern day fullbacks. You know, they were... Yeah. <laughs> ahead of their time. But uh, no, uh, Jim was a great character. Great character. Excellent stuff. He, he certainly did a good job uh, Good job at Rovers. Right, that, that's the 70s. We're, we're going to bring you a little bit to kicking and screaming into the 21st century now because we are also joined by Craig Shortman. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Craig, welcome to the 4,000 Holes podcast. How's things going at Oxford then? What's it like being a caretaker manager? It's uh, been a bit tricky. Looking, as I said before, looking to have Derek around. Um, performance level last week improved, but we didn't get the right result at Lincoln, who were unbeaten at home. But um, I'm taking the team for Saturday. And then hopefully we'll get a, a manager announced pretty quickly because we're running out of games and we are dragged into a bit of a relegation fight. Yeah, it must be must be tough at this time of the year. Anyway, let, let, let's go back to happier days then. So we're yeah. we're, we're talking the season 2000-2001. I'm going to bring Scott in here. Scott is the editor of the 4000 Holes fanzine and was also one of the uh, the contributors to the book. He gets a credit in the back. And uh, uh, Scott, do you want to ask Craig then about season 2000-2001 and in particular yeah. the two derby games? 
Because it was an interesting time for the Burnley-Blackburn rivalry through the 80s and 90s because the two teams didn't face each other. So if you grew up in the 90s, it wasn't really talked about. The most you heard was on the Tannoy, the Burnley result came up and there'd be a cheer or a boo, depending on the score. But suddenly the trajectories of the clubs followed in a direction where they're on collision course for that season, 2000-2001. Rovers would add a disappointing season with Brian Kidd um, but then Graeme Sooners came in and suddenly things were starting to look up. Was there a big difference Craig in that that summer really, the transition because it had been expectation of being for promotion that first season you were with the club but it didn't happen, a mid-table finish so Sooners came in, did was it there was suddenly a big change and yes we're definitely going to be in with the shout for promotion now. Yeah, I knew there's a lot of pressure on us to get back up straight away when Brian signed us. You know, I was only talking to Derek about it today, coming to the club and thinking, well, the expectation was high. There was a premiership squad there. They seemed to have two players for every position. And sadly, we let Brian down. It was, you, know, it, you know, I never really got going myself with that, that first season. And, you know, disappointed we never got even challenging anywhere near it, really. But when Graham came in, the pressure was really on. Um, and he, he, he obviously made that clear. Um, and you knew as well, you, know, you thought, well, you're fighting for your, your place here. I've just moved to a club. So, I, you know, I knew that and all the other players, even though they've been playing at the top level, they, they, they were feeling the pressure and Graham got us going, you know. Yeah, and in that first half of the season, there was some good runs, but there was also some mixed performances and going into that first derby match in December, it's certainly you you missed that match. But yeah. in, in, in that squad, you must have felt... With the Burnley match going going to Turf Moor, and both of the teams were in about eighth, ninth in the league, so they were very much on equal footing. It almost seemed it was set up for a Burnley win. Was was there that feeling of like fear that that Burnley it was could a bit because we were, we were still inconsistent. We were inconsistent for a spell of that start of that season. You know, it wasn't until Gary Flickcroft got a win at Wimbledon that we went unbeaten to the end of the season. So I remember that I remember the fixture at Turf Moor. I didn't even go to it. I think it was because of the security fears that the players weren't, weren't involved. I was probably injured. Just beyond Hughes, it's touchback and in. Jason McAteer after confusion in the Burnley defence from the long throw-in, and it's the visitors who've taken the lead. Well, this is an absolute mess. It really is, as far as Burnley's concerned. They just do not handle this throw-in from the initial challenge by Marcus Ben. But just really look at Cook. He really does allow the midfield player to get in amongst that particular area. Where... And I remember, was, was it on TV? But I, I was, was. on that game. Yeah. Is David Dunn getting kicked up in the air by Kevin Ball? Kevin Ball, yeah. It was a hell of a tackle. Bent. Instant retribution and Fraser Stretton here. Major incident on his hands and opts for the red card. No second chance for Kevin Ball for the way he dived in there. Graham Souness obviously concerned about the welfare of his player, but Burnley a goal down and now a man down. 
as Ball makes the walk of shame. Well, I said before the game, Kevin Ball gives you that competitive edge, but there's certainly a very fine line to that competitive edge, and really, Kevin Ball can have no complaints about this sending off. It was wild, it was reckless, and that certainly could have done damage. And that's what Graeme Souness went ballistic about. And, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't really um, aware of the rivalry until the build-up to that game. Uh, you know, I, I was definitely made aware of it for the return fixture because I played in it. So it was something that I thought, yeah, every every area has its local derbies, and we're down here at Oxford Swindon. You know, and that is, it's massive to the fans. So I didn't really become aware of that. It was, I think we went there with a bit of pressure, and it, the mount the pressure was mounting because we had to achieve promotion that year. It was going to be, it had to be that year before, otherwise we'd have been all getting kicked out, and there'd been uh, another squad assembled. I think so. Yeah, it was. I think it was a part of a. A good win for us, was it? Was it 2 0? Was it or 2 1? 2 0. 2 0, wasn't yeah. it? 2 yeah, 0. I can't remember the scorers. Who are the scorers? Jason McAteer. He's tried to do too much in the end. Bent! Signed, sealed, and delivered. The Derby victory belongs to Blackburn. I don't think either of those played in the return fixture, did they? Um, Bent did, didn't he? I think Bent might have come on a sub late yeah. on. Um, obviously, there was Mark Hughes and Matt Janssen playing. Um, yeah, so so. but moving on to the, the, the spring one, by that time, the team was really in full flow. Um, and I seem to recall just before, it was on April the 1st, the, the, yeah. the Ewood match. Yeah. Um, but there'd been an international break before that. And apparently, was there a Dubai break where well, the squad had been taking yeah. a break? Graham Any tales three, from that? It took us three of those, but you always felt because you've been away in Dubai, sunning yourself. We did train out there, but we also had a good time. You felt when you got back, you think this is live on TV, and I really felt the pressure for that game. I think a lot of the lads I was recently reunited with some of them at the Worthington Cup. Doing Derek was there at Ewood back in November. We chatted about that, and there was a lot of fear. Yeah, I remember we turned back, turned up in Ewood with our suntans because it had been great weather in late March over there. Not, not done a great deal of training, but Graham just wanted to get us relaxed. I remember standing in the tunnel, thought we better, we better win this today. I never knew what was going to come. And even though we went two goals up, it was still very, very close in the first half. They had a goal disallowed before half time, dubious one offside. So if that had gone in, what would the second half look like? But I was, yeah, I wasn't comfortable until we went four 0 up. Really, yeah, yeah, I never felt comfortable in games until at least three 0 So um, yeah, but I think the boys felt the pressure as well for the home fixture. Interestingly, although four four two was Sunas's go to formation in that spring, I don't know if you remember, he played three five two quite a bit, and in that Burnley game, you lined up as the left sided centre back of a three. Um, which yeah. kind of contributed to the one of your the goals or the own goal where you were kind of marauding you know what, Scott? down the left. It's not until I read the email and there's in there you yeah. probably, we had three at the back. I thought, are we sure we had three at the back? And he did do that. He did it also in the Preston game when we got promotion at um, yeah. Eatdale. But I wondered why I was on the left wing. But it wasn't such a natural. <laughs> It wasn't such a natural position for me. I, you know, I don't think if Faz was choosing a team now, I'd be playing left of a three. But I, I think, was it Henning in the middle? Yeah, and John Curtis. Yeah, Henning right. would get away with it because he was he was a little bit more selfish. And, and it's always a safe comfort blanket playing middle of a three. Henning wasn't the quickest. 
Um, but I, I, I wonder why I played. I played them while I got contribute to the first goal on that left hand side. I thought, and then I saw your notes. Like, yeah, we played three at the back, and I forgot all about that. I thought it was a four. Goal scoring yeah, hero, though, Craig. I mean, that that's just. Did Did you have a better goal scoring day than that in your career? I've had two goals before for Derby in the FA Cup. I never. I go back to Ewood now. I go back to the Northwest, and people always remind me about the two goals I scored. It's, it's, it it makes me laugh because. My wife used to work in a law firm in Burnley and she said people talked about your two goals. One was an own goal. My old mate Steve Davis was a centre-back that day. He was with me in Notts County years ago. So I obviously got three on the left-hand side. Didn't really really understand about a wing wing play and what I was going to do, but luckily it went off Stephen in. Otherwise, it would have been a pullback. But the first goal was Dunny hitting it with his left foot. I think it was his left foot from the corner. I didn't know anything about that either. It went in, but... Towards the centre. McCopolis punches clear. Falls for Dunn with a sharp flick in! And Rovers take the lead after 13 minutes. David Dunn with the shot. I think Craig Shaw may have got a touch on the way through. It doesn't really matter. Rovers are one up. McTiernan making his way into the centre as well. Rovers have it down the left. Two Burnley players back there and the Lansman's flag goes. Good advantage played by the referee. Ball played through and somehow it's set in the back of the net. Clowitz is Burnley defending once more. Would you believe it? It's Craig Short again. Rovers 2, Burnley 0. Yeah, I think he's took a deflection off on the Burnley player. Though. It's Craig Short, has got to the byline. He's pulled it back, but I think he's come off a Burnley player. It's amazing That's what, how much it means, just winning and scoring. You know, and Talking about our situation, I don't care about the performance. We, just want, to score, we want to score and win a game. So I, lo- I always enjoyed the celebrations because it was a surprise to me scoring, and I think it was probably even more surprise to my <laughs> I don't think you're a, you would have been one of those players that many fans would have had a quid on to score the opening goal. Well, I, I mean got, that in the most respectful way. Yeah, possible. I got a goal for, for for Everton. I was 40 to 1 on Boxing Day of years prior to that. And my dad put a tenner on me, so my dad did all right. Fantastic. It was the days when you could bet on football, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no one would be putting a bet on me, playing, especially playing left of the three. Or left wing, who knows? Or yeah. left wing, yeah. That's it. yeah your, wing. your career could have taken a different turn. I really want to ask you about Graham Souness. Graham fascinates me. Uh, particularly, I think, given his media profile of late, because I thought at Rovers he was just what we needed at, the, at that time, and he turned the club around. Uh, he, you know, he seemed to spend two or three months at the end of the season after he, he came in and replaced Tony, uh, just assessing the squad, and then there was a lot of change in personnel in that summer. And then, of course, he, he left under a cloud and they had the Dwight York incident and all the rest of it. What was he like to play with? play for and what's he like as a human being I, I, he, he gave me my best four years of my career I was what 31 32 thinking my, my career was coming to an end um he was my boyhood hero growing up so I was a Liverpool fan growing up in Germany you know in the 70s didn't have TV over there but all we got was the radio and it was all about Sunus and Hansen Hansen yeah. the one so I, I enjoyed watching Liverpool when I came back in the 80s to live in England when I was announced I thought wow this is gonna be interesting and the first two games might have been Birmingham at home and Fulham away, something like that. And after those two games, I think he axed four or five regulars from the team. And I thought, wow, this is, is getting ruthless now. It's sink or swim. So, but he's just, he's just my sort of bloke. You know, he, he kept it simple. He, and I've said this before. If you got a hug off Graham coming off the, off the pitch, you, um, you felt 10 feet tall because he, because he was that much on a pedestal for me. Yeah. Um, and you're still thinking, well, I've been playing with a guy who's um, done everything and, you know, and achieved everything. And I love the way he played the game as well. I love the physical side of the game. There's no room, he wouldn't survive in, the, in today's football, of course. But he carries it on with his punditry and the way he speaks about the games. I watched him at the weekend about the Liverpool Man U game. Exactly. He's so entertaining. 
I've speak to him, you know, occasionally now. I see him every now and then. Um, and he just gave me, you know, we just seemed to get on, hit it off. You know, hey, I got the wrong side of him a couple of times and I got a couple of bollockings. You know, you knew, you know, if he did something wrong, you knew, knew it. And but I like the way he went for even the top names in our team, you know, uh, you know, the, he'd go for them. And I liked that about him. It was just, uh, there was no, there was no hiding place for anyone. If you didn't work for him, he was on them. And I think it's no, no wonder he was successful as a, as a player and as a manager. And uh, like I said, it was, I was, wonder, I was lucky to play in that team. I think he recruited very, very well. And so I mentioned two guys earlier on, you know, we were very, very lucky to have him in, in, in our team because I think nowadays, no offense to Rovers, even uh, I think two guys would be at a Chelsea or a, a Spurs, oh, wouldn't he? Yeah. A Modric talk sort of player. Yeah. You know, he liked to fag Graham, let him have a fag, things like that. But he, it was just a pleasure to play in that side and Graham put that side together. But he was just, he was a man's man. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a pleasure to play with him. Really good result today. Um, I think the second half we played well. The first half we showed we can compete, but the, the second half we played some good football. It's another three valuable points, um, and we've just got to keep going. I mean, they, they, they know they know what they've got to do. We've got to win as many games as possible and hope, hope other people slip up. But our destiny's in our hands, and we're in a great we're in a great situation. I think yeah, he's, he's, he played, he joined in train every day. Well, well, that's that's the Dwight York thing, isn't it? Where uh, you know, you, you 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 were closer to it than I was, but you know, the legend has it that uh, the players were getting hacked off with him or something joining in training. What what what's the real inside track on that? Thing, that's Greg? that's the last day Graham ever joined in, <laughs> and um, it was a, an interesting day. It got competitive. Dwight, I think Dwight put put the, put Graham on his backside, which is very unusual. And Dwight was strong. And Graham was still, you know, obviously technically very, very good, but wasn't the physical, you know, physical beast he was when he was playing. And then I think the next tackle, Graham, we didn't wear shin pads in those days, and he he caught Yorkie on the on the shin, cut his shin open. And that was a PFA rep, so so it all kicked off. We came back inside. Dwight wanted to go and see the boss in the um. The, he was having his food, and I, I was a PFA rep. He said, "Well, you should come and witness this." And then we went into the canteen, and and Dwight said. Boss, I'm not very happy about this. Pointing at his shin, and Graham walked up to him and said, in no uncertain terms, "20 years ago, I'd have, I'd have done you here." Pointing at his chest, you know, and obviously Graham would have done, you know, back in those days. I think so, there are YouTube clips of Sunes doing that to players on yes, a regular basis. There, was, isn't there? there is, yeah. So he, um, that was it. I think Graham didn't join in again after that. He didn't join him. So maybe I, he, he probably saw that he might be end up hurting yeah. someone. And, uh, and it soon calmed down. It soon boiled. It soon. It's, it was. It was. A, it was a flash in the pan for that day. But it soon. It soon calmed down. We had a good spirit there. It was a good. Yeah. You know, he, he, he continued that from the promotion year. He certainly galvanised the side. I remember a pre-season friendly. I think it was against Everton. Um, Rovers. I think we won. Was it two-one or something like that? And I walked out of the ground that day thinking we're going to go up. And I've never before or since watched a pre-season friendly and been so convinced by what I saw. But the, you know, some of the skills that were on display, Matt Janssen is one of my, my all-time favourite heroes, and he just yeah. he glided over the surface and he was running the Everton yeah. defence, the merry dance, and you just thought, we're, look, we're looking good here. This look, this it's funny because really my, my, my last year at Everton, I played against, it's funny with me and Faz were talking about today, I played against Blackburn at Ewa. We, Everton won 3-2. Bakayoko got two goals, and that's more or less when Blackburn got relegated that year. We stayed up just with Walter Smith. Then I, yeah. then I moved clubs, you know, so I was dropping out of the premiership to come. But I wanted to get my family back to Yorkshire. It's a great opportunity for me, thinking the club would bounce back straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then people like Matty just joined the club 
Um, and the attacking flair we had with Gillespie, Duff, of course, Janssen, um, Sparky did a great job getting us promoted. And then you had Yorkie and Cole. We were a match for anyone, you know, we really were on our day. Yeah, it was it was a, a fabulous season. Obviously, capped off with that, t- that terrific result on on April Fool's Day. Ooh, and so, beaten by Ben. Ben comes on inside the area. Go. Ball across. Janssen. It's three 0 for Rovers, and that came from more calamitous Burnley defending down this near side. Initially from Thomas, then from Cox. Ben went inside the area. Cox couldn't even get to him to bring him down. Janssen came in late. He's made it three 0 The game's over. Now Rovers, Morn, flag stays down. Matt Janssen with a chance to have a run in that goal here. Janssen to pull the trigger and make it 4-0. And that rounds off a perfect day for Rovers. 69 minutes gone. Janssen broke the offside so, so simply. It's his second goal of the afternoon. It's his 17th league goal of the season. And it's Rovers 4, Burnley 0. Hughes. Play back into Ben. There's two of them in here. This is Craig Hignett. It's 5-0. It's 5-0. They were queuing up to get the fifth. And this is a good old-fashioned route. Eight minutes left. Rovers 5, Burnley 0. Going back to the book, uh, there are tales like that many more. I'm waving the book as I say it's an audio medium, but we'll just... Just emphasising Dave's point earlier, this is a weighty term. There are lots and lots and lots of tales like that in there with first-hand quotes from both Derek and Craig and many others in there as well. Okay, you're deep in the jungle, hanging with a friendly jaguar. Or how about in outer space playing the bass? Let your imagination run wild with the new generative AI tools in Adobe Photoshop. Create anything you can dream up just by typing a text prompt. Treehouse in your jungle? Unicorn in your spaceship? Just type it. This changes everything. Hit the banner or go to Photoshop.com and try it for free. So we're going to give away uh, a copy of uh, the book to a listener, and I'm going to ask Michael to set a question. What we want you to do is to email the answer to this this question to media at brfcs.com. That's media at brfcs.com. And what we will do is we will draw the winner on the day of the Blackburn-Burnley game, which needs to be rearranged, but we'll draw it on that day. And then we'll get a copy sent to you, courtesy of, uh, of David from Legends Publishing. So the question we want you to answer that Michael set is, since the league derby matches recommenced in 2009, only one Rovers player has started six times in the fixture, and we want you to tell us who it is. So if you've got the answer to that question, if you email media at brfcs.com, you will go into the hat for the draw. And as I say, we'll draw a winner out on the day of the Burnley, uh, sorry, the Blackburn Burnley, a rearranged game. And that will be sent to you courtesy of David and Michael. So thanks very much for that. So um, last chance for you to, to, to make the sales pitch here then, David and Michael. What's the difference between the first edition that came out last year and the second edition now that folks can buy? 
what well, goodies are there in this? It, there's an extra an extra year. There's the the extra season, and it was an eventful one, wasn't it? You know, um, Burnley got relegated, so the the derby was reignited. Um, so yeah, we updated it by season, and obviously we um, we we included the, the 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 sort of the new managers at both clubs. So you know, there was there was obviously a lot of churn, wasn't there? Two two big managers that had kind of uh, forged good reputations um, um, had, had gone off to pastures new. So uh, yeah, so it's up, it's updated. A few a few more photographs in there as well. I think that's one of the things that that really comes across to me is the quality of the photos. I think in this day and age, unless you're prepared to go to the library, as, as Scott quite often does, uh, and review the microfiches to get the the photographs that are in the local papers, the quality of the photos in here is terrific, and it really it really brings back a lot of memories. Just seeing those kits and seeing seeing the players, some of the some of the heroes that have worn the blue and white halves over the years, and it's been wonderful to have two of you on the call tonight. So- and the, the other sorry, the other giveaway tonight is obviously um, I'm not sure if Craig and Derek have got copies, but um, I'll, I'll be you know I'll be delighted to get get them a copy each so um if you if you get there um, I, I probably send them via oxford united do i is that the best way I, to, I, send I think to you send everything to oxford united. <laughs> yeah. eventually it, end, it ends up with either derek or craig but I, I, by, by hook or by crook i'll get you a copy each because it's something you should have on your bookshelf that's very kind thanks very much. Thank it's you. a pleasure, thank pleasure. You. Thank, you. thank you so last last chance to plug the url then david um legendspublishing.net so um yeah L-E-G-E-N-D-S publishing.net or uh, go to the club shop on the match day or online or, as I said before, if you have to, do Amazon. <laughs> and Michael, what, what's your prediction for the score then when the rearranged game is eventually played? Do you think we're going to turn up this time? Well, I, I hope it's a lot closer score than it was last time because as a, a Rovers fan, I, I was a little bit embarrassed really last time. I thought, I thought we were well beaten. In recent weeks, suddenly um, there are shoots of optimism. When Burnley went to Blackpool and we were not a great side and couldn't score, so maybe maybe a draw. We shall see what unfolds. So thank you very much once again to my panel, to Scott, the editor of 4,000 Holes. You will see him on Kidder Street at most home games selling the fanzine, or you could do what I do and subscribe, and then you don't have the guilt of having a grown man stand outside in the pouring rain catching pneumonia on your conscience. We have Thank you to David Lane from Legends Publishing. It's been a pleasure having you on. Michael, obviously, we wouldn't be here tonight talking about this without your terrific efforts in putting the book together. Lots and lots of... Derby memories that have come out from the people that you've interviewed. It's, it's, it's been a real good recollection. And it, as you say, it's good to, good to have on your shelves. And last but by no means least, always terrific to talk to two former Rovers heroes, club record appearance holder, and you know, does, does everything at Oxford United, it would seem, except be caretaker manager, Derek Fazakli. Derek, thank you once again for giving up your time this evening. Yep. And Craig Short, lovely to chat to you, Craig. Uh, so thank you for the insight on the Dwight York Graham Sooness incident. And I hope that you can turn Oxford United's fortunes round for the rest of the season and bring some better luck to, to that thank club. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nice chat. Nice chat.
4,000 Holes, no longer just a fanzine, now a podcast too. But you know that. You're listening to it. Sports Social Podcast Network. So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data and massive compute power. But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need. Search HPE GreenLake. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.